0: Welcome to the About, From, and With podcast, a podcast showcasing speech language pathologists' journeys to finding their passion and purpose in the field. I'm your host, Dr. Danica Pfeiffer. In each episode, we'll learn about, from, and with SLP clinicians and researchers as they share their experiences, advice, and expertise. Welcome back to About, From, and With. If you haven't already, be sure to follow the podcast on Twitter at aboutfrom__with or on Instagram at danikapyfer.slp and leave a rating or review to help others find the podcast. During this episode, I chat with my friend and colleague, Dr. Andrea Ford, about her experience on the job market and how she navigated receiving multiple job offers. I met Andrea right before we went on the job market last year and was so grateful for her support throughout the process. Andrea is currently an assistant professor in the Department of Communication Sciences and Disorders at the University of Cincinnati. Before going back for her PhD, Andrea worked as a speech-language pathologist in birth-to-three and preschool settings in a suburb of Minneapolis for six years. Her practical work drives much of her research and teaching interests. Currently, Andrea's research focuses on ways to promote and support implementation of evidence-based practices that support communication for young children with disabilities in early learning settings. I hope you all enjoy the conversation. Hey, Andrea. Thanks so much for being here to share your experiences with us today.
1: Absolutely, Danica. Thank you so much for including me. I'm excited to be here.
0: Absolutely. I feel like this could be a little bit therapeutic for both of us going through the job market process and being over with now and getting to talk about it. Oh, my gosh.
1: Yes. Like, totally cathartic just to, like, emote all of the things that we went through for the last, I don't know, was it a year that we met ago? I can't even remember.
0: Yeah. It has been about a year now. Time flies.
1: Yes, it does.
0: (laughs) Well, before we jump into it, I want to ask a few questions just about you and your background background. Could you tell us a little bit about you growing up before you started your academic journey?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, I am a Midwest girl, born and raised. I was raised in and uh, born in Madison, Wisconsin. When I was younger, I loved playing like tennis and volleyball. I was always really active. Like, I think that was always what I really liked to do. I liked to be outside and in the outdoors and so um, you know, and I really liked to play. And I also babysat <laughs> a lot when I was younger. Okay. And I think for me, that's what kind of spurred my interest in sort of working with kids as I may be jumping ahead on some of the questions. But but that sort of was in my, when I was younger, I loved being around little kids. And so I grew up in the Midwest, like I said, and then went to college at UW-Eau Claire, so University of Wisconsin-Eau Claire, just a little bit um, more northern Wisconsin, and okay. and started my kind of academic journey there.
0: So you had this early interest in kids, and then you decided to go to the University of Wisconsin, and what did you decide to focus on there?
1: Yeah, so interestingly enough, um, so my entire family now, including my sister, are all UW-Madison. They're badgers. So my dad was a professor at UW-Madison. My mom was a research nurse at UW-Madison. And then, yes, and now my sister works at UW-Madison as a director sort of of grants for or the pediatrics department, so it is very much a research family. I think whether we yeah. all chose it or we just sort of were grown up into it, or kind of um, that way. But for me, I actually started as pre-pharmacy, so I was very into the the kind of the hard sciences. I would say um, so. I was taking chemistry classes and biology classes, and I remember the semester I had, I think I had like nine hours of lab and it was like a physics bio and chem and I was like wow this is not for me know, like, <laughs> like, what? it was yeah. it was so much so for me it was I think maybe my first or second year that I took an intro to communication sciences and disorders course and I can tell you I started that class and I was hooked like oh. I I made the decision that year to switch and And the only reason I knew about the field, so I had talked about how I really liked babysitting Mm -hmm. um, and did that a lot. One of the little boys I babysat for, his speech therapist came over when I was helping with his siblings. And it was a home-based service. She was doing early intervention. And I remember watching and being like, well, she's just playing. This is, this (laughs) is so cool. Like, I could totally do this. This looks so fun. And so I think... In the back of my mind, as I went to to college, I I was like, well, maybe that's the thing. And then I took that class, and the rest was history. I just I went down that field and did my uh, undergraduate and masters at Eau Claire, and then went to work after that. And so that was really kind of how I started. And and as I took the classes, you know, I knew. I knew the field is so broad and you get training and everything, but I always knew I was going to be more pediatrics. I thought maybe originally I would be in more of a hospital setting, but I ended up in the schools and I wouldn't (laughs) change a thing about that.
0: Oh, I had the same experience. I went into grad school knowing pediatrics. I thought maybe a children's hospital. And then I went straight into the schools. Oh, a lot in common, I didn't know that about you. We didn't know that
1: about you. This is so great. I'm learning about you as well.
0: Oh my gosh. So when did you decide then that you wanted to get your PhD?
1: Yeah, so I was fortunate enough in my um, undergrad and graduate work to be able to do research. Being a smaller institution, so if, if people don't know about UW-Eau Claire, it's a, kind of a regional school, so it's smaller. It's not like University of Wisconsin-Madison. It tends to be much more clinical prep. So it's not designed like a, a big research institution, but they really supported faculty student research. And so actually as a freshman, I was connected with nursing and social work to do a research study on sort of death and bereavement around students in a nursing course. And so... I I was able to do some really early experiences and then shifted those sort of into the um, communication sciences and disorders. And I really loved it. I thought like the thinking about problems and finding the data to solve the problems was just this really cool thing. And so my advisor at that, Dr. Linda Carpenter, who I still keep up with and totally adore. Um, <laughs> she and I applied actually through ASHA for the students preparing for academic and research careers, so the Spark Award. Um, Great. We were lucky enough to get it, and I think that sort of funded my ability to go to conferences and you know present some of the work we had done. And so I tucked it in the back of my mind that eventually I wanted to go, but. I knew I wanted to practice first. For me, I felt like I wouldn't know what to research or how to teach it if I had never done the job and really right. kind of understood. So I actually waited a little bit. I, I worked for about six years in the Hopkins School District. So I actually moved up to Minneapolis in Minnesota. Um And I worked there for six years. And that was, I worked in the school district um, doing birth to three and then also three to five um, services. So home-based and classroom.
0: Oh, that's awesome. And so then you decided, okay, it's time. So how did you figure out what to do? Because I think a lot of people are interested in doing a PhD, but then they don't really know how to even begin looking for a program and figuring out which one's the best for them. So how did you navigate that?
1: Yeah, I think that's a really, really good question. And I think it it is, it's a hard question because I think, you know, I don't know your experience, Danica, but when I was looking for a master's program, you really looked at sort of the reputation of the program itself and what it was going to provide you. And my understanding was when you went for your doctorate that you were looking for really the mentor. Like you wanted to find somebody whose research and their interests really aligned with you. That was sort of the approach I took in my advisor from my graduate program. Um, Dr. Carpenter really helped kind of me navigate that process a little bit as we talk about the program. So I think one thing that can be helpful for people looking is you know thinking about going for their PhD is finding a mentor or somebody who's done it <laughs> and kind of picking their brain to figure out, you know, what you need to do. And then I would say, I started looking at people who were interested in things that I was interested in. So, or if I had been to their workshop. So I had seen Dr. Ann Kaiser out of Vanderbilt. I had gone to a workshop with her and Dr. Megan Roberts. And so I looked them up as a potential Um, I had seen Dr. Amy Weatherby and Dr. Julianne Woods present um, as a professional development. So I looked them up. Um, And then at the University of Minnesota, and they were at Florida State. And then I looked at University of Minnesota um, with Dr. Leanne Johnson, and she did a lot of early childhood work. And so, you know, I looked at different programs. I applied kind of broadly to see Mm -hmm. what would fit and what I felt like was the best fit. I'll say that when I met Leon Johnson, so I ended up going to University of Minnesota for my PhD, I knew pretty instantaneously like this is where I needed to be. There was just so much, I think, professionally that we really clicked on, but also just personally, like her approach to really a work-life balance and (laughs) that these- That's so important. (laughs) Yeah. And as you know, these programs can be so all-consuming and I just so appreciated her take of there's still a balance. Like you could still get married, or if you wanted to have a child, or if you wanted to go on trips or do fun things, you could still do those things and get your PhD.
0: (laughs) Oh, that's awesome. That's so important when you're going through one of these programs. Do you remember how you figured that out? Because I feel like some people might be scared to ask some of those questions. Yeah.
1: You know, honestly, I think part of me, it, it was probably just ignorance. But I asked, I asked a lot of just like, so you know, what do what do people usually do in the program, and and how do you support you know things that people are doing outside of the program, and and how what was their view also of sort of the work life balance, and I could tell by people's responses right away whether they liked the question or they didn't, but I think that was really telling for me. So I think you know maybe going back, maybe I shouldn't have been quite so direct, but. I also think it got me the answers that I needed and and I and I learned a lot because I think for me I knew the places that weren't going to work for me and the places that would work for me. So
0: definitely it's so important to find that good fit. Yeah. And if you need to ask the questions, those hard questions, then ask them because you're gonna be investing all your time in this place for yes. a few years. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and and
1: you want them to be excited about you. So it's like you wanna make sure you're there's a lot of synergy between what you think you can bring and what they, you know, will bring to you. And so I would say, you know, I found that actually with a lot of the places I applied at, um, both with Dr. Kaiser and and especially Dr. Julianne Woods, like she was fabulous. And I think for me, it also came down to location. And I'll talk about this when we get to um, kind of our job stuff as well is Minnesota allowed me to stay where I already had a community of people and I already had family and friends. Um, and knowing <laughs> when you go for your PhD, that income is <laughs> is a huge issue. Um, it was just nice to know that I had family support, not only just like financially if I needed it, but also just emotionally and mentally as you're going through the program. Um, so for me, it was, it was not just the vibe of that, but also just location as well. I think that's something that's really, really important to consider.
0: Yes, absolutely. As you finish up your PhD, I know you also did a postdoc. So how did you decide to make that transition to a postdoc position?
1: Yeah. So I actually hit the job market. I think I was just finishing up and then kind of COVID hit. <laughs> anyways. Yes. But um, I knew, I think actually I'd applied the year before I was I ended up finishing. And I was debating what to do. I I thought I would hit the job market, and I did, and I just didn't have a lot of success on my first round. I wasn't finished, so by that point, I had proposed my dissertation, but I hadn't started really data collection, and, um, and I knew it would take me a while, but I gave it my best shot just to kind of get my feet wet, and nothing really panned out. So what I kind of realized was I had sort of this opportunity where I could go ahead and I had funding to stay on two research projects as a project coordinator. Um, and so I decided just to do that. It felt like I had two years to buy myself a little extra time to get some papers out, to look at applying for maybe a small grant on my own. Um, and I was really fortunate. My, my postdoc was not a traditional postdoc. So it's not a, a postdoc that is often like a training grant or there's other kind of fundings. I would consider my postdoc is really sort of a project coordinator. So I was doing a lot of the the research kind of things, just managing projects, but was able to do some things for myself on the side. I was very fortunate that my advisor um, really let me do a lot of papers that she knew would help kind of grow my development. I was I I don't think that always happens. Um, No. (laughs) No, but I was really fortunate to have her support because we were getting the things done we needed on our projects and my interests sort of really had a lot of synergy with the things we were working on. So I was fortunate that way that just the position allowed me to still um, kind of do some of my own work on the side while I was still sort of managing some of these other projects. And so I think you know, it was great that it worked out, but I think it also worked out because I didn't get a job. <laughs> so yeah. I think that was, that was a big part of it. And, um, during COVID cause COVID hit shortly after I finished my PhD, um, we actually ended up moving out of Minnesota to, to San Diego. And we also knew that we were going to try to have a baby at the same time. And so
0: <laughs> yeah, there's life things, there's life things right? Yes.
1: right? Totally. There's all these life things. And so, My husband and I were like, wow, we sort of had this two years where I know unless something fabulous comes along, let's just like go on this adventure and I can do this job and do some fun things and live life and have a baby and, (laughs) you know, I'll do all these things. And so um, it was this year as I kind of knew my funding, like the grants that I'm on were kind of closing that I was like, okay, it's time to hit the job market. And I, you know, as I would talk with my advisor about it too, it was like, she and I both both knew that this was not my forever, that I didn't want to continue in this. I eventually wanted to be in a faculty position.
0: So this time around, when you started applying for jobs, what did that look like?
1: Yeah, good question. And I think we've talked about this probably a couple of times in our meetings, you would hear me say, I'm just casting a very wide net. (laughs) Um, Just because I had known so many people who. Had been on the job market and found it really challenging. Um, I think knowing, I think COVID impacted a lot of things. I think universities were hiring slightly less. There was a lot of uncertainty. um, And I think there was just so many more people graduating and sort of this influx of people. So every position was so much, I think, more competitive. So when I applied, I also wasn't entirely sure that I wanted to be. A full research institution or if I wanted a balance of research and teaching more so, so a higher teaching load, a little less time for, for grants and things, or something that's like very grant intensive um, and very research intensive. So I really applied pretty broad to a number of different programs that I think a couple things, I think fit that bill <laughs> of, of being a little balance of teaching and research or full research more or more so research. I shouldn't say full cause you're still teaching, but also location. I think for me, there were certain locations that were more desirable for us than others, both for my job. And then also my partner's job, we needed to be in like a bigger city that had biomedical engineering. Cause that's what he does. Um, but we also wanted to be semi-close to family. So maybe within driving distance of one of our family members. And so um, I think there was, you know, a number of things as well. And I think the other piece is just looking for the jobs that we're hiring in my area, because there certainly was a lot of jobs out. And I think you probably experienced this too, but they're, they weren't looking for what I did, so they might have been speech science or audiology or something totally different. I was like, that's not my wheelhouse. That will never be my wheelhouse, <laughs> so
0: no. <laughs> I'm not going to apply to you.
1: So I think it's sifting through the things to find what could be you could be a match for and that they might see you as a match for.
0: Yeah, that's so important. I'm glad you highlighted the personal aspects as well as the professional, because it really is trying to find a balance of both. And I think sometimes people go into it and they think that they can't be picky and choosy when it comes to personal things. And they just choose whatever they can find, which sometimes you have to do that. But if I feel like those personal factors, sometimes you really can't ignore those because this is your full life. This is, this needs to work for you. You're going to do more than just work at this place. Oh my gosh, so true. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It really is important to listen to those personal factors and things that are popping up in your head. Like, could I really live there? Would this actually work?
1: I think so. Yes, I think so. And it's like, you know, I think what it came down to is for my husband too. It's like, does he want to live there? Like, <laughs> is he okay with this area too? And, you know, it's balancing all of that. It's like, is the job so great that it may outweigh some of the other things? Or is it that even if the job is great, but there's all these personal things, you know, I I think, I think that's a challenge for people is to figure out weighing all of it and and trying not to exclude the personal. I think it, it's exactly what you're saying. Because I think it does make a difference. You want to be in a place you're going to be happy. And you're going to like where you live. And you're going to, you know, you will have to love it. Because you can certainly travel and you'll do other things. But, but you want to like it. You want to enjoy
0: being yes. there.
1: At least that's my personal preference. Yeah,
0: that's how I feel too. And the process of applying to jobs is exhausting. It takes a lot of energy out of you. You're also asking for references and reference letters. That's a lot of energy for them. And so... You don't want to have to redo this every year. You know, you want to go somewhere where you feel like you at least feel like there's enough that you could be fulfilled at least for a few years.
1: Yes. I think so. And I think that's also, I just love that you had that point about like, you're also asking other people. So like you have recommenders that have to write letters. And so you want to be thoughtful because I think every... Every one of my recommenders would be like, why do you want this position? Or what do you want me to highlight about this position? Or give me the information because they really wanted to tailor it, I think, to what that position was asking and why I would be a good fit. So I think, you know, that's the trick too, is not trying to waste your time on things You know, that are never going to fit or you would never take. Um, There were certain places where my husband and I would look and we'd be like, well, he could never get a job there. So that will just not work. It was too rural or it didn't have any biomedical engineering or, you know, it was just so far from family that it wasn't convenient. And so, I think those are things to kind of weigh, especially as you're considering applying and before even applying.
0: I learned that the hard way. Just you really should take that time to do your research before you even apply. Find out what the school is like, the department is like, what the city is like around the school. Is it in a city? Is it rural? Finding out all those things because you can get far into this interview process and you start to get attached to people in the department, they're attached to you. So. <laughs> you start to develop these relationships. And then if you find out that the location is the one thing that's not going to work, it's really, really tough.
1: I think so too. I, I I, think so too. And I think, you know, and we talked about this in mine, I had applied also to several programs that were brand new. So as I looked up the programs, they, I think I had maybe done a few that were were like they were just starting off, or they had only been together for a year. Um, and I, in the beginning, I think I thought I was, I was like, I could do that. That that seems like it would be kind of cool. And I think you know, there's things that maybe I wouldn't have applied to so many that weren't quite a good fit, or like the location or something. Um, but I think that's also something to consider is the how how long established the program is too. I think that's another thing that can kind of, there's benefits, there's pros and cons to mm-hmm. it being a new program. And so I think figuring out for you whether or not that's the case. And I don't think that's unique necessarily to communication disorders, but it seemed to me, I don't know what you felt, but there was a lot of brand new programs, which is exciting for the field because there's is. you know a lot of need, but I think that that can be harder um, for people like you and I who are <laughs> brand new. <laughs>
0: Yes, Yes, and I think that's something that people don't realize at all when you start applying and how would you even know to think about that really, you know, but if you're going to a new place and they have a small faculty, they don't have mentorship for you there that could be really challenging in the first few years and a lot of programs need help just developing their curriculum, developing the program. And you might need to dedicate a lot of your energy to that instead of getting your research off the ground and getting your classes off the ground. Exactly.
1: I think so too. And I think there's like that administrative piece that comes with those because from my understanding, there's like pre-candidacy for um, for ASHA programs. And so that takes several years and there's a lot of things that have to sort of be done. And I think if people like that kind of stuff, like if that is what excites you, I think those would be great, great positions for people who like sort of the management, they like the development, they like the design, Um, and I thought that I really would like that, but then I think when push came to shove, I started to realize, oh, I won't have the time to do the research, and that's what really lights my fire. So Mm -hmm. I think for people figuring out what lights your fire and how does that...
0: (laughs) I love that <laughs>
1: with, with what's available and, w- and what the program looks looks for. So
0: <laughs> definitely. Well, I know you talked about how you applied to all these different kind of positions, and then you received several offers over the course of a few months. Yeah. So how did you go about navigating that process? Because I know once you receive an offer, it's a big deal, right? You've worked so hard, and you've earned these offers, and you're excited about it. But how did you figure out if it was the right one for you?
1: <laughs> oh, Dan, God, that is such a great question. <laughs> I think it's a really hard question, and looking back, I'm not sure I did it all that well. But I think there's a couple of things I can say. I think the one thing is to trust your gut, and so and there was p- offers that I would get, and I loved, loved, loved the people. I was like, I would mix with you so well. And I liked the associate dean of research and I liked the department chair and I liked the people on the search committee, but the position itself just didn't have maybe some of the supports that I wanted um, or some of the things I was looking for. And so, you know, as I would get those offers and it's, it's hard because they all came in at different times. So you'd get one offer and you'd have to decide within a few weeks but if you turn it down what if you didn't get any other offers
0: yes <laughs> so,
1: yes so i think i'm not sure that this is science based in any way but it was a gut feeling of i'm not sure this is the right place to land and so i was in a place where i was comfortable enough where if it just didn't feel like it was the right fit i i said no it was really difficult to navigate those because I really, it wasn't any one thing. It was just that maybe the location was just not as convenient. And so it's nothing against the department. <laughs> the yes, people. I loved the job, but another one came that was slightly closer to family or, you know, things like that. And so I think for me, it was challenging to navigate that process because everything was so staggered and you just never knew. But for me, I guess, and this is maybe the way I approach a lot of things, is I would politely decline if I had to, (laughs) but try to really keep relationships open. And so I think, Danica, you're very similar this way that when you meet people, you want to stay connected, especially when there's a lot of synergy between whatever your interests are. And so I think for me, it was you know, if I had to decline and, and say, this isn't the right fit for me, I would be honest and just say, this wasn't the right fit because of this thing. Say it was not anything about you because for me, a lot of those, it wasn't about, it was really location <laughs> um, or like, you know, something about the job. Like if it was a brand new program, I was a little bit more scared about some of those kinds of pieces. So, or it just wasn't in my kind of wheelhouse. And so I think, I guess at the end, it for me was a gut feeling of, I'll know when the right one hits. Um, And then it did. And I feel really fortunate that it checked a lot of the boxes for me, that it was close to family. It allowed me to research. It allowed me to do teaching. It allowed me to do early childhood stuff because there was already relationships connected. And it was also a place my husband could get a job. (laughs) and the part that we could also afford a house or afford to live there so the cost of living was not wildly crazy
0: (laughs) all of these factors really go into it It's not just one thing yeah yeah
1: it's challenging and I guess for people that are navigating that process and and I don't know kind of for you too it does feel like it things have to align and you'll kind of know I think and that's what a lot of people had told me up to that point. It was like, you'll know when the right one comes. Like you'll know if that's the one you should take. And I kept being like, really? Like, how am I going to know? <laughs> like kind of do like for me, there was two finalists and I was between them for a long time. And I think, for me it came down to location.
0: <laughs> like, yeah. oh, I had advice when I was in my PhD program, my department chair had said that the jobs that she had in her lifetime, that she really had to force to make it work, that she had to compromise on things like location and really try to figure out the logistics. And it just didn't Feel like it was going to work and she really was forcing things those ended up being the worst job she said and so that was her advice for us and I came back to that so many times when I felt like I was convincing myself that this job was the best one for me and my family and friends are like what are you talking about you can't live there you know and <laughs> like, oh yeah I need to just like be realistic here. There's so many factors to consider. It can feel really overwhelming at times, but you really have to listen to your gut. I like how you said that.
1: Yeah, I think so too. And I think, you know, if you're fortunate to be in a position where you have some choice, you know, you don't always have choice. I think that's the hard part. Like, and the choice doesn't come at the same time. So like, it's all, it might be dispersed. And so I think one of the things that I think one of my mentors said is, like, you make a decision based on the information you have at the time and what your kind of gut is telling you. And that would be my advice. And so maybe there's something that's telling you that's not the job. So so maybe it's not the faculty position that time, but maybe there's something else that will come along. And so I think for people just continuing to be really open to possibilities and, you know, I hate to say, but, like, try not to be fearful. <laughs> That you don't end up with a job, because that I think I don't know about you, Danica, but I thought I was always like I may not end up with a job at the end of this.
0: <laughs> like, oh yeah, oh yeah, I had that thought several times. Yes, but I love how you point that out, and I I don't want people listening to this think that like oh man, they're so privileged. They had so many options. Good for them. No, like really, just like you said earlier, you applied once and it didn't work out and you were open to a postdoc position. You gained so much valuable experience and then you went on the market again and now you had all of these offers. So it wasn't like it just clicked the first time. Yes,
1: I think that that's, I'm glad you sort of reframed that too because I think, you know, it can make it seem like it's so easy, but I hit the job market and like you did too. Like you hit- I
0: did too several times. Yes. And
1: so I think you have to just know at the right time, it'll, it'll, things will line up. And so if you have to do something different, you know, there are lots of different ways that you can do things to kind of set yourself up for the career that you want to have. And so sometimes you have to think creatively about what those might be too.
0: Definitely. Now, for those that are going into this process, can you talk a little bit about what an offer looks like? What is that experience? Because it's a little different than accepting a clinical position. There's a little bit more involved there. Can you talk about some of that?
1: Yeah. So I would say like, as you're kind of, you know, actually getting the offer, you're often going to talk to either the department chair or um, the dean. I don't know if that was your experience, Danica, too, but it was one or the other that would often call. Um, and a lot of times, you know, they'll talk about salary. They'll talk about research startup funds. They'll give you connections to like the retirement plans and the health insurance. And and I would say all of those things are really important to pay attention to. <laughs> I think you can be like, oh, poo-poo, it's health insurance and, um, you know, a retirement. But those are also really important things because they set you up for your future and you're protecting your health. And, you know, if you have sort of health issues or things like that, that you need to take care of. Like I had some that I need to make sure that I had doctors that could treat me in the area that I was going to be in. And so, um, I think paying attention to all those things. So you'll often get the initial offer. So they'll give you all of those details and then begins the negotiation (laughs) process. (laughs) Oh, and I will say I am not, not good at this. Um, I I think my my first reaction is I was like, oh, that's great. I'm just so excited to get more pay than I'm currently getting. And everything is wonderful. Um,
0: like leaving a postdoc or if you're coming out of a PhD program, especially too. Yes,
1: you're just like, wow, any amount of salary seems fabulous, right? Yeah. But I think and I and I get this from my sister, so if she ever listens to this, she'll get a little credit for this. But um, she told me, so she does a lot of director, and she's constantly hiring people. She's like, I never come in with my best offer. I come in sort of lowballing, knowing that you're probably going to ask, and I want to be able to say, yes, I can do that for you. That's so great. I feel like when she said that, I was like, okay, I'm just going to make an assumption that there's some room to grow. And so... Things that you can start to negotiate are salary, are moving costs. So that was a big deal for me um, because I'm moving from San Diego uh, to Cincinnati. And so negotiating moving costs. Also negotiating your startup package and what that looks like so will you get students will you have funding for conference travel will you have funding for research incentives M- money for materials like I do a lot of video recording in preschool classrooms so I needed that equipment or the assessments you need all of those things add up and so you know as you think about your negotiation and what you need it's really meant, you know that process to kind of go back and forth. And I would say, I think in my current position and some of the other ones that I would negotiate, we maybe went back two or three times. And I would say one of my pieces of advice in that process is definitely negotiate, but also be willing to think critically and, and, and find solutions. So one of the places I was at was like, well, we already have some of these assessments. So could you just use those? And I was like, yeah, I don't need something different. Like if those are available and I can use them when I need, that's great. I will happily take those. So I think, you know, you have your sort of wish list of things, but also knowing there are not infinite budgets that universities have. So trying to be reasonable about what are things that you want and would be nice to have, and then what are those things that you need to have? Um, mm-hmm. And so, I think you know navigating that offer is all of those pieces of kind of figuring out what's nice to have, what do you need to have in terms of your salary, moving, startup package, you know, conference travel. Do not be afraid to negotiate. Absolutely yeah. negotiate. Do not not negotiate.
0: <laughs> yes, I got the same advice. You need to negotiate, but you have to. For me, the advice that I received was. Pick your buckets. Like, don't try to get more of everything that you could possibly ask for, but pick the ones that are the most important to you and what you're going to need, and negotiate on those. So yeah. that's how I approached it. But I think it it is it is really smart, like you said, to think about what what are these things that I can be creative about? What are the things that maybe aren't as important? Um, how can I get all of the things I'm looking for, but it might just look a little bit different than how I was thinking about it.
1: Yeah. No, I think it's so true because I think, you know, that's part of the challenge is you try to, you want to think about what's going to get you started. And maybe I should have backed up for the listeners too, to think about what does that startup package look like? Um, Because that in our group that we were talking about, it really helped to see what other people were doing because there was things I hadn't thought about. Like, open access publication fees, if uh, they were willing to that consultants for methodology kinds of things or just statistical kinds of things. And so, you know, I think it's thinking about what is it going to help you be successful, but then what are the resources the university already has um, that are available? And I think, you know, as you do your search and as you're interviewing, if we go back to kind of where we started, I think. You know, that's an important piece for people to be thinking about too. What are the resources that the university has to help you improve your teaching, to help you improve your research, your grant writing, all of those kinds of things? What's available within the university to also help support you in whatever realm you're going to end up kind of doing more of or doing?
0: Definitely. Yeah. You want to be putting these things on paper that you feel like you need to be successful in those first few years. Do you have any advice on when people should start thinking about these startup packages?
1: I would say (laughs) earlier than I did. (laughs) So I think I was like, in the actual interviews, like the, so I'd gotten through the phone screens and then would go to the second part of the interviews. And I was like, I should probably start thinking about that. But I think I was so busy with my job talk that it was like, I hadn't quite thought about that, but they ask about it, you know, in your in-person interviews uh, or in-person or some of mine were virtual because of COVID, but, you know, asking, they were already asking about those kinds of things. So I think having Be able to pull out a number if they're asking for a number or at least just being able to describe some of the things you have. So I would say kind of early on in the process, like even as you're starting to just apply to programs, start jotting down the things that you think you're going to need as you're starting to plan out what it is it's likely it won't be solidified because things will change over the course of those months and depends on what your projects are you're working on and, and where it takes you. But I think, you know, starting out earlier um, and talking to people like you and I who <laughs> have done this and getting to see what they've done. I think that was really helpful. We had a couple of colleagues that were willing to share their startup packages. And so that helped me just have something to start from to think, Oh, I see what you did, or I see how you broke this apart or, The earlier you can start, the better.
0: (laughs) I absolutely agree. And finding people that are willing to share theirs is so helpful. I had a postdoc before me. She shared hers with me. And that was tremendous because we do the same kind of research, more or less. And so the supplies that she was thinking about already that she needed, I also needed those supplies, but maybe I hadn't thought of some of those things. And so it was really helpful to read over hers and be able to start from there. So definitely don't be afraid to ask people that have gone on the job market, especially ones that have, do, have done similar research or do similar research to you, because there are probably things that you're not thinking about. And you want to kind of be as comprehensive as you can be, because this is really what's supposed to be able to get you off the ground in the first two to three years. So it's, this is the time
1: to, ask <laughs> I think so. And I think too, I love that. Cause it's like, you have to get everything off the ground, but the worst they can say is no. <laughs> They're just going to tell you no. So you're not going to get, like, I think there's a quote or something that's like, you don't get a hundred percent of the things you don't ask for or something like that. But it's, yes. it's so true. I think it's better to ask, you know, within reason about the things that you, you can get, like, I wasn't going to ask for, like, four graduate students (laughs) for funding, right? But could I get several hours from an undergrad and maybe two graduate students? Like, okay, that could maybe work or something like that. So...
0: Yeah, it's really, that was huge for me was knowing, like, is it realistic to ask for four graduate students? You know, like, I don't know. So (laughs) I really appreciate having other people to bounce ideas off of because I really didn't. Like, is it okay to ask for all these child assessments or should I only ask for a handful? You know, I really don't know. So that was huge. Yep.
1: And I'll say too, like the chair of the department that I'm going to be working in, like he said too, he was like, if you think you need, two, let's just ask for three, because the worst they're going to say is no. And I was like, really? Okay. (laughs) So I think, you know, kind of get a feel for the department and what they think is reasonable. Like I sent my first list and he was like, yeah, this, there's nothing in here that's egregious or that we need to take off. So he's like, you know, and so that felt good. It felt like I was in the realm and I had put a lot of the things that I was like, these would be really nice to have. If I don't get them, I can still do it. But it would be great to have them and I was able to get them. So I maybe asked for a little more that I I may not have been able to get had I not asked at all, so.
0: Exactly, yeah, and I would say if you are a PhD student or you're doing a postdoc now, just start keeping a list for yourself of things that you find yourself using, things that are in the lab that you're in, because then you'll just be able to start this running list for your startup spreadsheet.
1: I think so, that's real. and I think like assessments, equipment, um, if there's consulting, I think the other thing I hadn't fully thought of was consulting, like Mm -hmm. some of the methodology I need, I'm going to need somebody who knows, how to do it. (laughs) right? right. I have enough to be dangerous. So I think including those things too.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. That's great advice. How did you keep yourself organized with all of these different schools that you were applying to the different offers that were coming in? Because it's a lot to keep straight. (laughs) Did you have a system of any kind?
1: Yes. Yes. So I actually used Trello um, for it. So it's like There's a whole bunch of like project management systems like Asana, I think Trello, Slack is another one like our our job market group used. I had a colleague who had used it and I really liked how she used it. So I ended up doing um, a Trello and I sort of made like a timeline. So I would have like it's application and then it's in review and then it's like first round complete, second round complete. And then I would put like what the offer was. I think that was easy. It was all online. So I didn't have a ton of paper um, going around. I would say some of it was also on my email. I just had like a job search folder. So I would just, I I hate having a full inbox. So I automatically start sorting everything. And so I would do that with my job market stuff because it was easy. I could just click on that folder if I was like, I can't remember what the name of the chair was that I needed to respond to, you know, so then I could just scan that set of emails. So I think Organizing my email was big and then having sort of just a tracking system. Other than that, I feel like I should have been probably much more organized
0: than I was. That sounds very organized.
1: I Some people have like probably much more advanced systems, but mine was very... Pretty simple.
0: That sounds great. That's really smart. I'm sure any of those organizational boards, you could figure out a system for yourself. But just having something to keep, like you said, names straight, because you're going to be meeting a lot of people. Deadlines straight, because the applications are all due at different times. Yes. Yeah, there's a lot of details and constraints.
1: <laughs> I think that was like the hardest part of when certain deadlines were for, especially when applications were due and then tracking people's recommendation letters. So I will say in Trello, the cool thing, and I think Asana and Slack, you can do this too. You can have like an item and then like checklists within that. So I could check like, oh, Dr. Johnson sent the letter of recommendation. Oh, I sent my transcripts over already. Or, oh, I've done the diversity statement. I've done the personal statement. Because that's the other piece is the application itself just has so many requirements and everyone is slightly different. So I think having a system, especially early on, for organizing all the application materials, Trello was clutch for me. And then somewhat through as I went through the process, but that was more just for me emails and calendars and all that kind of stuff. Uh, hopefully they send you calendar invites so you don't have to create them you have to create them and then you have to make sure everything's that I think is also I don't know if you experienced this but it's like if they didn't send like calendar invites with a zoom link or anything I was like oh now I have to make sure I've got everything right and if you're dealing with different time zones it's even more challenging (laughs)
0: Oh, no. (laughs) Oh,
1: gosh. Was I supposed to be there at 9 a.m. Central or 9 Pacific? So keeping time zones. Ways to keep yourself organized. Your calendar is your best
0: friend. (laughs) Absolutely. Yes. And if they don't send you a schedule, ask for one. (laughs) I know that they might send it the day before, and that's totally normal, unfortunately.
1: Yes. And when you get there, it may change. (laughs) So But most people were pretty great about it, so can't complain.
0: Do you have any final advice for others that are going on the job market about negotiation?
1: I think the biggest thing is just to make sure you do it and talk to people who've been through it. So like myself, or I know you, Danica, are super open. You know, Other people in your field. Um, So if you're not just in speech, but you're in something else, like I have colleagues in early childhood special ed, talk to those people or people in other fields and see what they're doing, the negotiation. And cold call. Like, I'm totally fine if people reach out and they're like, you don't know me, but I listen to you on this thing. And yeah, yeah. Cold call. Cause you just never know, you know, find somebody who you think might be a match for you and, and chat with them, I think. And I would also say there's often a lot of great webinars for negotiation and also just the job market in general. Um, I think those are really helpful Too for people to check out. I guess one final plug would be for, I don't know if you did this, Danica, the Asha, the MARC program. Did you do the mentoring? Yes. Yes. So I had a mentor that really helped me through a lot of just not the negotiation, but also just the, the job market process. And we're going to continue to keep in touch after this. So I think, you know, find those people that can be your mentors, look for programs for navigating the job market and negotiations and all of that stuff because there's some good resources out there
0: absolutely i'm so glad you brought up the mark program i'll have to put that in the show notes with maybe some of the webinars that we both used for negotiation so people have resources in the show notes too but i did the same thing i had a mark mentor through this whole year and we would meet once a month, and she really helped guide me through as I had questions about the job market process. And she was actually on a search committee for a school at the time. And so she had a lot of wisdom to kind of help guide me through that. And I really appreciated having a sounding board.
1: I think so too. And it's nice to have someone who like kind of knows you, but doesn't, you know, like they're just very unbiased.
0: Unbiased. <laughs> I felt the same way. Yes, <laughs>
1: She was just like, no, this is how you should do it. Or she would just have advice. And I, I think it was really helpful to just have someone who didn't know all my background because yes. they could be bar- very honest. Um, too
0: yes because your mentors are great but they are so invested in like in you and wanting to get you a job and they know so much about you but having that unbiased person is is nice because the people on the search committee don't know you so they're gonna have somewhat of a similar perspective as an outsider I felt like
1: I think so too because especially like And I would say for people too, like find people who will read your job materials too. So like your letter, your cover letter, your diversity statements, teaching, research statements, all those kinds of things. And I had my mentor from Mark read some of those. And it was just great to have her feedback because she wasn't in my field at all. So she truly, like you just said, it's like she's a search committee member that didn't know anything about what I was doing. And so I think that was really, really helpful.
0: I'll put those resources in the show notes.
1: Yes. Thank you.
0: All right. I just have a few rapid fire questions here for you to end our time together today. I've learned so much from you. I'm sure that our listeners are too. So thank you again for being here with us.
1: Yes. Happy to be here.
0: <laughs> my first rapid fire question is what is one resource that you couldn't live without?
1: I'm going to be old school here, but like my post-it notes <laughs> and my pen, because I have post-it notes all over. Like, I want to say that I'm like using the technology things all the time, but I'm not. Like, I need my Post-it notes to help keep me organized.
0: I love it. I feel like we have so many similarities. If you can see my desk right now, it's just covered in Post-its. I know.
1: It's like, and you probably know, Danica, where that right Post-it is that has what you need, right?
0: I do know, yes. (laughs) There's a system. There is an organizational system, yes. There is. Okay, what has been a defining moment in your academic career?
1: Oh, really good question. I would honestly, as cheesy as this is, I think it was getting my PhD. I think for me, it was the culmination of like all of the things I had worked so hard for. And it was sort of my mountaintop. I I just remember reading this book that we're all just climbing and climbing eventually to reach sort of this peak. And it's like, for me, that was the, the peak. And I think it's not the end. <laughs> like I, I want to say it's going to hopefully keep going um, and I'm not going to go downhill too bad, But um, But I think for me, it was really for me that it was like, I can do this. Like I carried out a study. I had an idea. I executed it. I found some cool things and, You know, it didn't change the world in all of the ways that I thought it would, but it changed my world and it changed a lot of the course of my work. So,
0: Not yet, not Not yet, but there's still time.
1: Yes, exactly. If any of you are out there like statistical methodology, generalizability theory nerds, I'm your person.
0: There you go. There's a need for it. Someone
1: out there, right, Danica?
0: Absolutely. Um, On a similar topic, what's one thing on your professional bucket list?
1: having an invited talk where like someone really is interested in what you're doing and you get invited to like a conference to be maybe it's not a keynote but you get invited to present because people are finding I think value in what you're doing and they want you to disseminate it so I think a bucket list would be presenting um or being like a an invited talk somewhere so something
0: awesome you're gonna do it I know it. it's in your future hopefully we'll see <laughs>
1: It might just be to like my mom and my husband, but that's fine.
0: (laughs) Okay, last two questions. What has been your favorite part about being your postdoc? In your
1: position. Yeah. So I think for me, I, it was really unique um, was that a lot of the work that I was doing aligned with things I was interested in already. And so I was able to carve out little things that aligned with my own research agenda um, and learn a lot about things that would inform the next steps for my own work. So like I learned about the Delphi process. I learned about core components and doing systematic reviews, like becoming better and stronger at them. And I think those are probably some of my favorite things was that I, I picked up a lot of tools that I can see applying to the work that I want to do eventually. And I, I feel very fortunate that that, that that happened.
0: Awesome. And last question, how can people connect with you or learn more about you and your work?
1: Yes. So I, Danica, as I told you, I, I'm like branching into the world of Twitter, as my good friend Mariana and Maria know. Um, I tweet maybe like, once a year, maybe <laughs> twice a year, but I'm trying to be better. It's my goal for, for my new faculty position is to, to tweet. So tweet at me, like <laughs> direct message me and it's Andrea LB Ford, um, on Twitter. And so, I will respond to you and hopefully you'll see some more activity from me once as I learn to tweet better.
0: Perfect. I'll put that in the show notes as well. So people can find you and tweet at you or DM you. Yes. Yes. As long as I
1: can figure out how to get the tweet at me, I got it. <laughs>
0: oh my gosh well congratulations on your new position and I wish you the best in your transition and thank you again for joining us today
1: yes thank you so much for having me and best of luck to you and congratulations to you it's exciting for both of us to kind of be in this place and starting anew. so thanks for having me I really appreciate the time and just opportunity to share some of my perspective
0: thank you for tuning in for another episode of About, From, and With. If you haven't already, be sure to follow the podcast so you'll be notified of new episodes when they come out. I'd also love if you could take a quick second to leave a review of the podcast to help others find it. You can follow me in the podcast on Instagram at danikapyfer.slp or on Twitter at aboutfrom underscore with. Until next time, stay humble and kind.